So, uh, good morning. My name is Harry Strauss. I'm part of the pastoral team here. And it is my privilege to, my responsibility to bring the message this morning. And we are speaking about uh, gospel and culture. And we are in the book of First Peter. And my assignment for today is to talk about identity. So, who are we? What is our identity? That's fairly easy to answer, perhaps, as individuals. If you have a driver's license, if you're of that age and you have a driver's license, that's all you have to do is look at your driver's license. Or better yet, if we have passports, the ultimate identification document, all we have to do is look at that. So as I look at my passport, it says name, and it says Harry Strauss. And that's all it is, is Harry Strauss. Um, might be an oddity, not, not that I'm an oddity, but the oddity is that I only have two names. I don't have a middle name. My parents didn't give me a middle name when I was born, and so I'm just simply, I'm not Harold Strauss. I am just Harry Strauss. That's my identity. Nationality, it says Canadian. That means I'm part of a culture where we are generally fairly nice to one another. And we are known as such uh, culturally uh, around the world as such. Place of birth, Regina. Gender, M or male. But who are we as a group of people? It's quite easy to maybe identify ourselves as individuals. And there are documents that give indication of that and uh, support who we are as individuals. But who are we as a group of people? And I raise that question because really the text that we're looking at today talks about us as a group of people, not so much as individuals, though we're a part of that. And more broadly, who are we associated with all committed Christ believers and followers across the nation of Canada? A number of us from Forest Grove were at the MB study conference this past week in Winnipeg. The conference was on God, sex, and church. A theology of healthy sexuality. And one of the workshops I attended was entitled The World to the Eyes of College Students, where five university students spoke about varying levels of sexual engagement reflected in university studies. It was quite helpful, quite informative, and a little bit of an eye-opener for me as I listened in on those five sharings. As a part of that sharing, one of the evangelicals or one of the students said that evangelicals are seen as Bible thumpers. And he said, I don't want to be a Bible thumper in the university setting. So that's interesting. Part of our identity sometimes is there are indicators given to us by how others view us. And there would be those that in Canada that would suggest that a part of our identity is, and it's not a positive one, obviously, but that we are Bible thumpers. For some, we are un-Canadian. I found a lot, an article online entitled, Evangelicals are un-Canadian, uh, stating that we're completely against Canadian values. The article didn't say this, but it would be suggested and understood that there would be a number of Canadians that would look upon us 
believers of Christ, committed believers of Christ across the nation, and they would see us as, dare we say it, narrow. Dare we say it, uh, judgmental. Dare we say it again, that we are perceived as Bible thumpers. I also found an online survey indicating that 27% of Canadians have negative feelings about us. You know, which, which isn't all that bad. Um, <laughs> I was looking at this verse in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, and Jesus said, listen to this, uh, listen to the percentage in this one. He said, you will be hated by everyone because of me. Well, that, I think that's 100%. Everyone, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know what? I'll take the 27%. That's pretty good. We've got pretty good press releases, I guess, across our nation. We'll take the 27%. So who are we in our Canadian setting? At least, maybe, who do we want to be in our Canadian setting? How do we want to be identified? How do we identify ourselves? So the text for today is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12, and it provides a perspective to that question. It's kind of like the identification on the passport page, but it is for all of us together as believers in Jesus Christ. So we'll look at the full text, but first I want to begin with the heart of the passage, which is verse 9. Verse 9 says, But we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So I took the liberty to change the language in that translation a little bit. It was in the second person plural, and I changed it to the first person plural, saying that we, we are a chosen people. Now, I want us to do a little bit of an exercise here. It's safe, uh, so relax. The, um, you're not going to be asked to do something I think that you'd be uncomfortable with. But I'd like this to take a few moments to see if we can at least initially do some memory work on those first four statements. That we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. And that we are God's special provision, uh, possession. And then after we've taken a few moments to do a little bit of work on that, uh, then we'll go back to verse 4, the beginning of the text, and then we'll come back culminating in verse 9. And what we're going to do with this uh, little bit of memory work here is we'll do it with actions. Those of you who remember, we do a lot of actions. Janda, you're in, so that's good. And so um, here's what we're going to do. Ultimately, this is where I want you to go with these first four phrases but we are a chosen people that we're pointing to ourselves with our index fingers, indicating that God is choosing us and selecting us. And that we are a royal priesthood, that we're going to do this sign, and I'll give you indication in a few moments why I selected that, that we are a holy nation and that we are God's special possession. So we're going to start with phrase number one, and then we'll build the second one into it, and the third one into it, and the fourth one into it, and if you're seated like this, now just relax and let go of your hands and let's enter into this. So uh, it begins off by saying, but we are a chosen people. And so I'm going to suggest that you point to yourself and that we are God's chosen people doing so with your index fingers. So uh, let's do it 
three times together as a group of people. But we are a chosen people. Second time. But we are a chosen people. The third time. But we are a chosen people. Now the second line on this is we are a royal priesthood. And I'm suggesting we go like this. Why am I suggesting this way? Because the word priest, at least in Latin, means a bridge. So it's a bridge builder. And so we are a bridge between people and between God. And so there's a connection. So what we're going to do is we're going to say, and let me just first demonstrate and show it, but first of all, we're going to say, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. So we'll do those two phrases together. It's going to get more complicated as we move along, right? <laughs> Dave, can you handle that? Can you handle that? Yes, you can. I know you can. Well, so let's do this. Okay. But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Second time. But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A third time. But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. The phrase, the third one in this is we are a holy nation. So this is an obvious one, putting our hands together in prayer. Hands in prayer generally are hands that are clean, that are motivated and guided by a pure heart, uh, intent on pursuing holiness. So we will start again with phrase one, two, and three. And I'll just show it first of all, but we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So that's where we're going three times. But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Second time. But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Third time. But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And then the final phrase that I want us to capture is this idea of being God special possession. So maybe these, the gesture like this, we are loved by God with hands coming across the chest like this. So we will do all four and I will demonstrate it first, all four. But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. <clears throat> so we'll do that three times from the beginning. But we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Second time, but we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And the third time, but we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Well done. Give yourselves a hand. You did well. Fantastic. <clears throat> And then the text goes on to say that we may declare the praise of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. So let's go back to verse four. We'll begin at verse four. And again, this is like a passport page for the believers of Jesus Christ, giving identification of who we are. And then we'll culminate in verse nine and we'll review verse nine meditatively at the end. Who are we? Verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Who are we? 
It begins with our connection, our collective connection, connection to the living stone, Jesus Christ. Now, of course, the stone has no life, yet Jesus here is spoken of as the living stone. There is life in Jesus, and at the same time, we quickly get the sense that the picture here of a stone, the living stone, is a picture of a solid foundation. So we are people in Christ, followers of the living stone, and this is foundational to the verse that we were just working on, on memorizing. In verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So if you pick up this imagery, not only is Christ deemed the living stone, but because that imagery is used of him, now the language shifts and says that we are living stones as well. Now, when I first read this, I wondered if there were any bands or singing groups that might have taken the name The Living Stone. And sure enough, as I checked on the web, there are a number of bands out there that are The Living Stone. And one would assume perhaps more godly and more holy than that which comes from The Rolling Stone. But who are we? Who are we? And we can legitimately say, well, we are the living stones and use that language. We are living stones. We are part of the living stones, taking our identity from Jesus Christ identified as the living stone. That rings quite positive compared to us being, let's say, Bible thumpers or narrow judgmental evangelicals. In verse 6, for in Scripture it says, See, I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, what's happening here in the verses that follow, Peter will be quoting extensively from the Old Testament. The Bible used by the early church was the Old Testament and the Old Testament exclusively. The New Testament, as we know it today, emerged in the 1st and 2nd and 3rd centuries, but it wasn't firmed up as a canon until the 4th century. So early believers did not have a New Testament as we know it for some 300 plus years. The early church, they poured over the Old Testament looking for indicators about Jesus Christ. And Isaiah was a favorite passage or book of theirs. Because of that, there are those that today refer to the book of Isaiah as the fifth gospel uh, of Jesus Christ, with all the references that are in Isaiah related to Jesus Christ. In this passage, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion. Those who have been to Israel know that there is a lot of stone in Israel. Virtually everything in Jerusalem is built with stone. And so it's not hard to see why this imagery was used. And again, the context of this is Isaiah 28. And the context of Isaiah 28, when you look at that whole chapter, is that Isaiah, true to prophetic words in the Old Testament, is that is addressing the issues of the nation of Israel. And at that point of time, everything is literally messed up. There is no foundation, and ungodliness prevails across the nation. The interesting thing in looking at Isaiah 28 and then connecting to it, Isaiah even here in the book of, of 1 Peter, 
we could suggest that there are parallels to our Canadian setting with Isaiah 28. And yet, with 1 Peter 2 and Isaiah 28, with this imagery that is being used, there is good news. There is this assertion by Peter, there's this assertion by Isaiah back in his day and age that there is a foundation in the midst of this tremendous moral mess that we're surrounded by. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame or will never be stricken with panic. And I use the line stricken with panic with intentionality. So when, for when you look back at the actual text in Isaiah 28, it uses that very language. See, I lay in Zion, this is Isaiah 28 now, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Panic? Why panic? Panic because of the sinfulness that is there in society. And when you look at our Canadian setting as well, one of the most foundational things we can do in our time of moral and social upheaval is to keep on trusting in Christ, the cornerstone. Recognizing there is a cornerstone. Recognizing there is a foundation. And we put our trust in Him. Verse 7 goes on to say, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And so here we have now Peter continually pulling out of the Old Testament. He draws from Psalm 118 as Christ is the cornerstone, and then he also draws on Isaiah 8 for the second part. You look at Isaiah chapter 8, and in part it's about judgment or built around the theme of God's holiness. Now we could surmise and maybe imagine that when Peter wrote this letter, his quiet time that morning may have been in Isaiah 8, prompting the emphasis on holiness in both chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Peter. And more specifically for us in this very verse here, verse 9, we are a holy nation. We are a holy people. Which brings us then back to our key verse, central verse, verse 9. But we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. The interesting thing is verse 9, probably most of it is taken from Exodus, um, borrowed and brought into the New Testament. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 to 6. Listen to this and just pick up on the images that are there that are there in the verse that we were just working on memorizing. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The identifying statements of verse 9 are taken largely from Exodus chapter 19. Verses 5 to 6. So who are we? What is our identity? We are living stones connected to the living stone, foundational and foundational to the four identity pictures expressed here in verse 9. But we want to take a few moments just to look at these four statements in verse 9. One, 
in Christ, we are a chosen people called to bless. As Israel was chosen, and we see that passage in Exodus chapter 19, as Israel was chosen, that same language is taken and now applied to us. Equally, we are called in order that we would bless. So that key passage in Genesis chapter 12, where God is speaking to Abraham and the beginning of the people of Israel, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And then goes on to say, and you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now equally for us, this many years later, we have, for example, Ephesians 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Out of the abundance of God's blessings, we are calling is to bless others. So as the believers that Peter was writing to, and you look at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen, uh, what is now modern-day Turkey, so we are scattered evangelicals across this nation throughout the provinces of Canada from coast to coast to coast. We are a chosen people within this nation of Canada, blessed to bless. Who are we? We are a chosen people. We are a chosen people. Two, in Christ, we are a royal priesthood called to connect. It's indicated very briefly that earlier that the, the word for priest in Latin is pontifex, and the idea is a bridge builder, a bridge that connects two sides, and our primary role of priest is that of helping people bridge to God. In our initial year as evangelicals, when I say that, we, Judy and I, uh, we were involved with Southern Baptist Life, saved through the ministries of Faith Baptist Church here in Saskatoon. And we attended a Southern Baptist school in Fort Worth, Texas for three years, which is really the buckle of the Bible belt down in the South. But Southern Baptists really know this, and they understand this. You don't have to be around Southern Baptist circles for very long, but before you hear them talking about, we are the priesthood of believers. We are all among, we are all part of this group of company, the priesthood of believers, and we are called to bridge people to God. Now, the interesting thing here is not only are we priests, we are not, not only are we a part of the priesthood, but the, 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 the adjective is used here that we are a royal priesthood. Because we're all about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that exists now, which is present, which is with us, and a kingdom of God that extends into eternity as well. <clears throat> we are engaged in kingdom realities that ultimately will eclipse any political or national interest as we pursue the kingdom of God. So we are a royal priesthood because we are connected with that kingdom. And even when John, with the revelation, the final book of the Bible, he writes to those churches that are there in Asia Minor, those seven churches, the thought that he wants to put up in front of them very immediately, he says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. He's basically saying the same thing that Peter was saying here, same thing that was being said likewise in Exodus that many years before that as well. So who are we? <clears throat> we are a chosen people. And we are a royal priesthood. We are extremely significant people 
in this Canadian culture in which we live. Three, in Christ we are a holy nation called to model godly and holy living. The word for nation here is ethnos, which could also be translated people, and maybe that maybe works a little bit better for us in understanding this text. But we're a holy people <clears throat> called to model godly and holy living. And this is a big deal in this book, First Peter. So last week when Dale was preaching, he we drew attention to 115. But just as he who called you is holy, God, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And again, borrowing from the Old Testament, borrowing from the book of Leviticus. And in my Bible, the section immediately below verse 9 has this subtitle which says, Living Godly Lives in a Pagan Society, which I think is the nice way of saying we've really got to live holy lives as the people of God. I don't have the verses behind us on the screen, but verse 11, which comes just just below verse 9, it says, and Peter is writing to believers, the believers in Christ, and he is exhorting. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and aliens to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And so one of the first things he does is he addresses the believers in Jesus Christ about their lifestyle, urging them to live holy and pure lives. Again, on this conference on sex, God, sex, and the church, it had a very pastoral and compassionate tone to it, but also understood with this prophetic role of the church, urging followers of Jesus Christ to abstain from sinful desires and to model godly living. And why model godly living? You look at the very next verse, verse 12, the exhortation is, live such good lives among the pagans, those that don't know God, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. The hope, the prayer in Scripture true of our Canadian setting, I would want to suggest to you, is that those steeped in sin may come to see the world differently because of the lifestyle of believers in Jesus Christ. You know, I've said this before, and it's been a while since I've said it, so some of you would not know this. <clears throat> but when I was a university student, I worked in masonry construction. We worked on a crew of five or six different guys, and we oftentimes worked out at different different towns, and we stay in motels or hotels or whatever it is and eat lousy all week, I guess, and all that sort of stuff that goes with being on the road. But there was a, and I, I say this humbly, but I, I came to be known as Holy Harry. And it's, it's not like I was seeking that out. Uh, and But th th just how, um, I guess, the guys around me started to uh, uh, refer to me. And, I, and, and that would be the hope, really. That's, that's the idea of the holy nation. The holy people that in a spirit of humility, not in a spirit of judgment, but in a spirit of humility, somehow the world around us, steeped in sin, steeped in all kinds of immorality, having got a fungus idea which is the right, left hand or which is the right hand, confused in terms of how to live life, would somehow see something about you and me and all evangelicals, all Christ believers across our nation. There's something good about that. 
there's something good about that, I should consider that. So who are we? Well, we are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. And then the final one in this, in Christ we are God's treasured possession, called to, to lead the way in celebration. At the end of the day, what counts most is this, that we are treasured by God. So one of the songs that we did at the conference that was new to me, that, and I am loved by you. And then it goes on by this line that is repeated three times. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. And part of our identity is that we are loved by God. We are treasured by God. It's evidenced by the, by, by His mercy. And again, I don't have verse 10 behind me. But once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have received mercy upon mercy upon mercy. Uh, we have received grace and peace, as indicated in one two of this book. Grace and peace are ours in abundance. In other words, we are God's treasured possession. So who are we? We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We're God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And it's interesting that word there, that we may declare the praises. Declare the word, the verb there is the for, is, a, is from the word angel, which in the New Testament carried the idea of messenger as well as that a heavenly being. So either way, we can say we, in a sense, in this world, with so much darkness, we are angelic messengers in declaring and celebrating the good news that we are God's treasured possession. Our identity? I know the world, to a certain extent, will see us as Bible thumpers. They will see us as un-Canadian. They will see us perhaps as narrow. They will see us perhaps as judgmental. I would hope that our, our winsome lifestyle and our winsome witness throughout our world, that we will give embodiment to who we are defined by Scripture, that we are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's treasured possession. We can celebrate our identity and potential for influencing the culture that we live in. So as we move to conclusion, at least with the message, I want to restate verse 9 three times. And I invite you, before we go into the worship time here, to meditatively, re meditatively reflect on the truth of verse 9. You could close your eyes and just listen in. But at the same time, if you want to repeat it three times with me, I invite you to follow with me as we meditatively say and declare. This is a good cognitive exercise where we declare our identity. This is our passport. This is our passport from God. And we are saying, this is who we are. I invite you to respond meditatively. Some of you may want to close your eyes and just listen. Others want to follow along. Uh, others may want to recite with me. <clears throat> but we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Second time, but we are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And the final time, but we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Amen.